Go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. We've been now for uh, a couple of months in this series on the Gospel of Mark. And as we've worked our way through it, it's been asking some questions of us, various questions over and over. And one of the questions that I've been thinking about as we've walked through the series is this question. When Jesus came, did he come just for the purpose of forgiveness of sins? Or did he actually come to sort of transform and change us as well as we follow him, even this side of heaven. In other words, if you look at our little tagline that we keep going back to for this series, it's in the little middle here on the screens, following the servant king, how Jesus' life redefines our own. And if you think of the news of Jesus or the coming of Jesus or the gospel of Jesus, just in terms of eternity, just in terms of forgiveness of sins so that you can get into heaven, then I don't know how much Jesus' life is going to redefine your own over time as you live as a Christian. Now, I'm not by any means diminishing the importance of our eternal salvation. I mean, if that's all there was, it would be enough, right? It'd be more than enough. It'd be abundantly more than enough. But what we find through the gospel is Jesus over and over is calling people to live differently, not just sort of receive the message and then wait around till they die so they can live differently in heaven. No, we live differently now as we have hope for also what will be coming in eternity. So I've been thinking this week, why is it that people can sit in the same churches, read the same best-selling Christian books, listen to the same radio songs or podcasts or whatever it is, the sermons and all these things? Why is it that people can can do all these Christian things and be exposed to all this Christian material and and do their devotionals and and some of them just sort of remain kind of bored? And some of them just remain with with a hard heart and unchanged and just sort of untouched and unmoved by the Christian story other than their hope in the gospel and eternity. While others, over time, you start to see them be transformed and they become warm to the things of God and they become, uh, their, their heart begins to be given away for other people and you literally see joy start exploding in their lives as they grow in the faith. Now, I know it's seasons, you know, you have seasons of growth and you have seasons of not so much growth, but why is it I've been asking myself that literally people can sit right next to each other in church and do all the same things and hear all the same things and some are exploding with life and others are are just sitting bored and stagnant and stale. Now, the answer that comes to most of our minds, the typical answer to that question is, some people just do Christianity better. Like they put more effort into it, right? They work harder at it. They're just better people. You know, they're more pious or they're more disciplined or, you know, you fill in the blank with what comes to your mind with a really good Christian. Here's the interesting thing. That's actually not Jesus' answer to the question of what brings you life, what brings you like overflowing growth and fruit. And this morning in our text, we're at a place where Jesus answers this question of, you know, if you want to have life that is real life, if you want to overflow with, with not just spiritual vitality, but life vitality, right? If you want to have joy and if you want to sort of be growing and be transformed in your living, the secret is actually not about all these Christian religious things that you do. It's not about how hard you work at it. It's not about how much effort you put into it. That may be a little part of it, but the deeper piece is different than that. And I'll go ahead and tell you, even before I read the text, uh, what, what the answer is that Jesus gives. He essentially says, if you want to be transformed and start living with vitality and with joy, what's most important is how you receive 
my word. Not the effort that you put into it, but how you receive it. In other words, how you hear it, how you listen to it, how you accept it, how you welcome it. This is what Jesus is going to say, and this is actually fascinating. He's going to say it's very possible to to listen, but not hear. And that's why he says in this passage, and you'll hear it as I read it in a minute, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. It's possible for the word of God to be spoken to you by the Spirit and you don't receive it. Even as a Christian, it's very possible. So the issue is how receptive you are to the message of Jesus, particularly the message of the kingdom that keeps coming up in our study of Mark. And so I want to give us the opportunity to hear and receive to to listen and have ears to hear this morning. So I'm just going to read through the passage. It's a long passage this morning. It's 20 verses. This is a longer segment than we generally choose, but it's one coherent thought all the way through. So we wanted to stick with the whole passage in our study this morning. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As I read these words, I hope you always listen, but this morning in particular, because the theme is listening and the theme is receiving and accepting, I'm praying for you as I read that God would give you ears to hear and that you'd be receptive and that you would listen. So I'll I'll read it. You can follow along. It's also going to be on the screens behind me. Mark chapter 4, verses 1 through 20. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. As he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand, otherwise they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown, and when they hear, Immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones in whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns, These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. 
This is the word of the Lord. May he help us to hear. Now, as you heard that, as you listen to that, you realize there's a lot here. I mean, this is a familiar parable, and honestly, I've got limited time this morning with all that else is going on in our service. I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions that you might have about this parable. There's a couple of tricky places in here, and your brain will be like, what does he mean by this? What does he mean by that? I'd be very happy to, to have conversations with you afterward if you want to get into some of that. I want to focus this morning on the main idea. That's the time that we have this morning, and I want to unpack what is the big idea that Jesus is trying to say in this parable and there's two parts to this main idea I'll give you part one and then I'll give you part two and I'll, here's the first part it's about the seed the second part will be about the soil the first part of the main idea of this parable is this the seed has spectacular and surprising power the seed has spectacular and surprising power if you're a note taker write, write a dot 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 after that because I'm going to complete that thought in a minute now what do I mean the seed has spectacular and surprising power what does the seed symbolize in this parable. Shout it out. What, what, what does Jesus mean? The word. the word, right? In Mark, it just simply says the word. Now, the same parable is recorded by two other gospel writers, by Matthew and Luke. And, and, and you know, they're hearing the exact same words of Jesus, but what they're returning back in the writing oftentimes comes it's from slightly different angles, right? What the Spirit brings to their memory or what the Spirit brings to their mind. So Mark says it this way, the seed is the word. Luke says it this way, the word of God. And Matthew says it this way, the word of the kingdom, so likely what Jesus actually said was all those things, right? Now, it's the word, the word of God, the word of the kingdom. The seed represents the core message of Jesus. So go think back in our heads, the beginning of our study of Mark. And in chapter 1, verse 15, the first recorded words that Mark records of Jesus is this. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. So it's the, this, this word about the kingdom. But, but Mark seems to be saying it's even more comprehensive than that. It's just the word. And guess what the Greek word is for the word word? Yeah, that's confusing to say. Logos. Right? Where, where does that bring to mind? The, you know, those of you that, that have been studying the Bible for many years. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the logos. In the beginning was the word. And the word became flesh. So there is a sense that this word refers to the word of God, all the scripture. There's a sense that the word refers to the message about the kingdom, which is Jesus' core message. There's also a sense that the word means Jesus himself. It applies to Jesus himself. It's his message and it's his person. It's all that rolled up. It's a seed. This is what Jesus is saying. Now, fascinating comparison, isn't it? Jesus is saying, my entire purpose of being, of coming here to the earth, my entire um, reason to be ministering to you, all my teaching is like a seed. Think about a seed for a minute. I, I brought one this morning. This is, this is an acorn, right? It's a seed from an oak tree, right? Little acorn. In a seed is embedded all the promise, all the potential, all the power of a great tree and it's in a little seed now what's so interesting about this acorn is it's so small right now it's so tiny like I could literally put it under my foot and crush it without even using all of my weight and yet if this seed gets planted and it grows one day it will be a mighty oak tree that will weigh hundreds of times my weight and not only that but that oak tree will produce in the course of its lifetime 
thousands, maybe tens of thousands of acorns that also have the potential to grow into oak trees. Each of those oak trees will produce thousands of acorns that have the potential. And so you see from this one little acorn, the possibility is an entire forest of mighty oak trees. It's remarkable. So what Jesus is saying here is my message about the kingdom and even my very presence itself is a seed. It may seem small, it may seem insignificant, but it's nothing of the sort. Now, part of Jesus' message, I think, is I've come not just to make the world a better place, but to remake the world. You see, it looks small now, but it's not going to stay small. The whole world would be renewed by this message, by this gospel. And for those of us who are daring enough to believe the message of Jesus, to receive it, Jesus would say to us, I've come not just to make your life a little better, but to remake your life. And so the image he uses at the end of this parable is this fruit-bearing tree, right? So you you, you see this uh, uh, down here at the end of the parable and then in the explanation, he says 30 times, 60 times, 100 times the the original seed that was planted is the yield. Now, don't gloss over this image and think in your head, oh, that's just some, you know, uh, unrelatable spiritual metaphor. Maybe it's about evangelism or these other things. It, it does have to do with evangelism, but it's more. The picture of the fruit-bearing tree is the life that you really want. It's, it's the fullness. It's, it's the overabundance. It, it doesn't mean no pain, no suffering. It means you can do this. In the middle of pain and suffering. It doesn't mean that you'll never be selfish again, but it means that you have the the capacity through the power of Christ to love other people and to serve other people. It means you go to the end of your life and you look back. And yes, there's going to be some regrets because there always is. But you have this, this image surrounded you of, by the grace of God, the people that he enabled you to sow into, the people that he enabled you to love well, the legacy that you're leaving behind. This is what we all want. This is what every human being, on the, even those that are anti-Christian, this is what they really want. They're just pursuing it in all the wrong ways, you see. This is the fruit-bearing tree. The seed has spectacular and surprising power. And so one of the questions this parable asks us is, is this. Do you recognize this kind of life, this kind of fruit, this kind of joy, this kind of vitality in you? Do you recognize it? Like, do you feel like that, that tree that's bearing the fruit, 30, 60, 100, or you're kind of like, oh, maybe sort of, kind of, not really? Now, let's talk about the soil. We'll finish that main idea we started earlier. The seed has spectacular and surprising power, dot, 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 when deeply planted in the soil of a receptive human heart. Let me read that again so that we can hear it. This is the main idea of this parable. The seed has spectacular and surprising power when deeply planted in the soil of a receptive human heart. 
And when you step back and look at this parable, you actually see how brilliant Jesus' analogy is of the seed and the sower. Uh, in other words, this, this acorn that I showed you, it has this incredible power. But if I just put it on my bookshelf, if I collect it in a little basket to bring out every autumn as a decoration, it will remain unchanged. Like literally, it'll sit for years just like this. Nothing will happen. I could even put it in a little glass display case and, and, and pass it around and show it to people and say, this is my most prized possession. Yet it will only stay just an acorn. See, it's just a seed. It's just a seed. It won't transform. But plant it in the ground. It will eventually transform the landscape. The earth will not be able to contain the life that comes out of this little acorn. You see, I think part of what Jesus is saying here is he's essentially saying, as powerful as the message, as powerful as my life is, as powerful as this good news of the gospel and the kingdom and, and how you can be transformed and all these other things, it must be received in a receptive human heart for the fruit to bear. Now, isn't that remarkable? God didn't have to do it that way, y'all. He could have just sent Jesus in, in kingly form to begin with and say, zap all you people that reject me and, and set up his kingdom and do it with power. And it would have been like this, 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 this giant boulder hitting the earth and made this huge indentation that, 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 that would have made some change. But no, he decided to do it differently. He said, I'm going to come as a seed because over a long period of time, maybe 2,000 years or more, you see, the landscape will begin to be transformed. And eventually I will come and finish the job and renew the whole earth. You see, this is what's happening with the gospel. Now, this parable, don't miss it, illustrates what needs to be true about us for the message of Jesus to actually transform us. So essentially, what's going on in this parable is Jesus is, is using this parable to hold up several mirrors and, and say, does this look like you? Does this look like you? Does this look like you? And each soil, if you think about it this way, the road, the rocky ground, the thorns, and the good soil, each of the soils represents a posture of receptivity to the word of God or the message of Jesus, even Jesus himself. You see, each soil represents a posture of receptivity. And I'm going to use the idea as I explain these soils, I'm going to use the idea about a heart condition, the condition of a heart. Uh, and here's what I don't mean by that. I don't mean just emotionalism, right? I don't mean sentimentality and sappiness. So when I use the word heart, that's not what I mean. When I say the condition of your heart, I mean how receptive are you to God's work in your life and the word of God that's being spoken and preached to you even now and that you'll encounter throughout the week, et cetera, et cetera. How receptive are you? Which type of soil do you most resemble? Are you listening? Do you have ears to hear? How is your hearing? Let's look briefly at the soils. And only one of them is their fullness of life, and only one of them is their fruit. By the way, I actually don't think the primary idea of this parable is about salvation. I think it's related to salvation, but I don't think that's the primary parable. So some people get all caught up in saying, which ones of these soils are actually Christians? And are, are these Christians that fell away? Did they lose their salvation or not? And are these like Christians that are just sort of backsliders? I actually don't think that's the primary point of the, of the parables. Who's getting into heaven at the end? I, I think that's related. I think the primary point of the parable is bearing fruit 
30, 60, 100 times. It's the fullness of life. Now, in each of the first three soils, there is something there that prevents the seed from going down deep and germinating. Verse 15, the seed that falls on the road. Jesus says it, it can't penetrate the hard exterior of the road, and so it's easily removed. Who is it removed by? Interestingly, it's removed by Satan. But, but here's a picture of someone with a hard heart. They're not receptive. The message of Christ just sort of bounces off them. And, and by the way, I actually don't think that, that even anyone in this room is excluded from this. E even if you put your faith in, in Christ. Now, I'm not causing you to question your salvation. No, man, if you're a believer in Christ, you're saved. But I'm saying we can still have hard hearts where the ongoing ministry of the Spirit through the Word in our lives just sort of bounces off us. It makes no difference in our lives, right? Satan is very happy just to keep you as sort of a casual, comfortable, but slightly miserable Christian. Right? This first soil represents someone with a hard heart. Verses 16 and 17, seed that falls on the rocky ground. It springs up initially, but it's prevented, by go it's prevented from going deep enough by what? These rocks, right? It's rocky ground. This describes someone with a shallow heart. Here's how I'd say this. This is someone who's not really interested in being transformed by God at all. This is someone that, that actually sort of wants the blessings of God, wants like easy, comfortable living more than they actually want to have a transformed heart. So this is someone that says, all right, God, give me blessings, bless my life, fix things in my life. And then when things get hard, God's not coming through. It's like, I don't need it. I'll go try to find life from other places because God's not giving me what I want. That's this second soil, again, familiar to us. And then verses 18 and 19, the seed that falls on the soil with the thorns. Here's what's interesting about this one. This one's actually planted deep enough to grow. But there are other things that are just as deep. These thorns. Now, and Jesus goes out of his way to be very specific with what these thorns are. Right? Listen to this list he gives in verse 19. These are the thorns. The worries of the world. The deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. It's a frightening list because I'm like, yes, me, yes, me, yes, me, right? You see yourself in this? The soil describes someone with a divided heart. So you have the hard heart, you have the shallow heart, you have the divided heart. And finally, verse 20, the seed falls on one type of soil in which it really thrives, right? It's simply described as the good soil. And, and this soil is, is mostly described in terms of what is not present in the soil. In other words, these three negative things are not there in this soil. There is no hard heart. There is no shallow heart. There is no divided heart. This is the receptive heart. It's Receive the message of Jesus in a way that results in utter transformation and fruit and renewal and joy and life for itself and then for other people. And so these mirrors are held up to our hearts and they're asking when it comes to the word of God and the message of Jesus and, and the new kingdom and, and even the person of Jesus himself, how am I listening not just how did I listen when I was six or eight or 12 or 18 whenever you came to Christ. How are you listening now? How have you been listening? 
Do I have a hard heart? Do I have a shallow heart? Do I have a divided heart? And I'm going to submit to you, if you identified at the beginning of this message with someone who's just a little bit bored with the things of Jesus, if you're honest. And by the way, I don't say that in judgment. (laughs) I get that. Could it be that one of these descriptions is the mirror that you need to see this morning? Now, if you're really listening to this message of Jesus, even this morning in this parable, if you're hearing it, you're going to quickly say, I think I have a problem. We all have a problem. Who in this room, who among us could say, my heart is utterly soft? In other words, there's never any resistance to Christ's transformative work in my life. I'm just like putty for him to shape and mold, right? Which one of us could say that? Which one of us in this room could say, my heart is deep and unwavering toward God. I never doubt his love when things get difficult. Which one of us could say, my heart is singularly devoted and wholehearted. I'm not concerned with worries. I'm not distracted by wealth, either wealth I have or wealth I wish I had. I don't desire other things more than Jesus Christ ever. Who could say those? None of these. None of us could say this. If you look in these mirrors and you come away thinking, man, I'm pretty good looking. (laughs) I'm not sure you've really seen. I'm not sure you've really had ears to hear. Now, now here's the good news, because there's no way I'm going to leave you there, right? Because <laughs> if I leave you there, you're just going to leave with guilt. And you're going to go back and say, I guess i got to be a better Christian. I guess i got to work harder. I guess i got to do all these things. That's not what Jesus is saying. Let me leave you with hope. Two thoughts to end with that give us hope. Number one, whatever soil you find yourself in right now doesn't mean you'll stay there necessarily. It doesn't mean you have to stay there. How do we know this? by looking at the 12 men that Jesus was speaking to most intimately. Think about the lives of these disciples as this plays out through the rest of Jesus' ministry. Okay, I'm going to go through these soils, okay? And think about the disciples. Did they have hard hearts? (laughs) When we we go through the rest of Mark, you're going to see over and over, Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's like, why don't you understand? In fact, in chapter 9, he's going to say, do you have hard hearts? By the way, the way he phrases that question, the answer is yes, right? They do have hard hearts. Over and over again, they don't get it. Over and over and over, the the message, the good news is not actually taking root in them. It's not transforming them. They're a bunch of misfits, not just before he called them, but after he called them. Like, this is just how it goes over and over and over. They had hard hearts. Number two, do they have shallow hearts? What happened when the, the, the going got tough, right? The arrest the trials of Jesus, they're nowhere to be found. Like the, 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 the one or two of them that follows Jesus to the trial, Peter denies him, right? And then they, they run away. They're ashamed. They're in hiding. They're exactly like that second soil. How about divided hearts? How many times did Jesus have to remind his 12 disciples not to worry about the things of the world? Even right up until he was arrested, they're arguing about, you know, who's the greatest and who's going to sit at his right hand and all these other things, the desire for other things, you see. Over and over and over. And yet, and yet, we sit here this morning as part of the fruit of these 12 disciples. 
somehow, before these 12 men went to their grave, 11, right? Before these 11, right, Judas accepted, went to their grave, this seed, this message, this presence of Christ had utterly transformed them so that they were, by the end of their lives, this fruit-bearing plant, this fruit-bearing tree. Now, how did that happen? Because listen, I don't care where you are right now in your walk with God, like hard heart, shallow heart, divided heart, maybe you're all of them, right? I see, I see some of all of them in me, if I'm honest. You are not worse than these 12 men. Guarantee you. Guarantee you. Keep that in mind as we finish the, the Gospel of Mark over the next several months. It's just like these guys, it's like, well, what's wrong with you, right? Disciples, but we're them. We are them. Here's the good news. How do they get transformed from that to, the, to, the, to like changing the world? How did that happen? Here's the the second and final thought that gives us hope this morning. It's this. The hard work of change is done in you, not by you. It's done in you, not by you. Think about the soil. The idea of the soil is so relevant. It's so beautiful. It's so such a brilliant image for us. And here's why. The soil cannot remove the thorns without the gardener. It's not the soil's job to remove the thorns. It's not the soil's job to take out the rocks. It can't do it. You see, who does it? The gardener does it. You see, the, the work of change, the work of transformation by the seed is done in the soil, not by the soil. And so the soil can no more get the rocks out, no more get, 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 the, get the, the thorns out than it can actually make the seed grow in the first place. It's in the seed. The power is in the seed. It's our job as soil to receive, to hear, to be open. And I know some of you are thinking, but Rob, that just sounds so passive. Like, give me something to do. I'm a man of action. I'm a woman of action. I, I've tried just hearing. I've tried just receiving. And it's, it's not taking root in me, not in significant ways. And I, and I would say, do you really have ears to hear? How's your heart? Is it hard? Is it shallow? Is it divided? So, so if you want to know something to do, like those of you that just have to have something to do, here's what you do. You ask the gardener, to transform the soil of your heart. That's what you do. You pray this prayer. Father, would you soften my heart? Would you make me receptive to your word? Would you give me ears to hear? Now listen, can you do that? Would you do that? That prayer, that prayer in and of itself is a posture of receptivity you see that? Now, I actually don't think you can authentically pray that prayer without the work of the Spirit here. But if you put your faith in Jesus, you have it. You have the Spirit. And if you can, all you can do this morning is just say, fine, I don't even know how much I mean it, but, but I'm going to mean it as much as I can mean it. And I'm going to pray this prayer. Father, would you soften my heart? Make me receptive to your word. Give me ears to hear. That is a posture of receptivity. Here's how the seed of the gospel transforms you. It changes you from the inside out, not the outside in. 
You don't decide you're going to go become a great Christian. And you go start doing all these things and giving all this money and doing all this stuff and serving all these people and reading your Bible eight times a week and all these other things and then hope to be transformed. The gospel doesn't work that way. It changes you from the outside, the inside out, not the outside in. It's a tiny seed of truth the gospel is, that's buried down deeply in your heart. And every time you say, give me ears to hear, and every time somehow God speaks to you through this word and, and, and revelation that he's given, that seed just goes a little bit deeper. And it begins to take root. It begins to germinate. It begins to transform. That's how it works. Uh, I want to close with this, this image. Uh, and, uh, several years ago, I don't know how long it's been, there, there was a movie that came out. That it, was, it was called Inception. Okay, some of you have seen this movie. It had Leonardo DiCaprio. Now, if, if you've seen this movie or not, it's okay. You're, you're still going to be able to understand this analogy because I'm going I'm to tell enough about this movie. Now, I happen to really like this movie, and other people that watch it, they're like, dude, you're just weird. Like, Why would you like that movie? I didn't get it. It's kind of weird, and it is a little bit weird. But here's, here's what happens in this movie. Leonardo DiCaprio, he leads this team of individuals that somehow, it's a little bit science fiction, right? Somehow they've figured out a way to, to, to tap into people's dreams while they're sleeping. And they can actually kind of like um, through, through sort of this conscious transfer of thought, they can, they can interact with people while they're in deep sleep through dreams. So they hire themselves out to companies to do corporate espionage. In other words, you know, w w would you tap into the dream of the CEO of this rival company and steal the trade secrets so we can know what they're up to? And this is what they're doing over and over. And, and he gets this biggest mission he's ever had. And that is instead of stealing secrets from someone, his job is to implant an idea in someone. And the idea that he needs to implant in this man's brain is he wants to, to make this man break up the company that he just inherited from his dead father because the, 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 the company uh, is the enemy company, according to the person that hires Leonardo DiCaprio. So how is he going to convince a man to break up his father's company that he just inherited? You know how he does it? He digs in deeply a dream within a dream within a dream and within a dream. So he could go beyond all the resistance to this idea. And he speaks one core message to this man. And the message he speaks to this man is, and it comes directly from, in the dream, it comes directly from this man's father who passed away. And here's what the father said. He said, I love you. You are your own man. You are received and you are accepted. Go do what you want to do. Don't just be my clone. I love you. I receive you. I accept you. You're okay. Go live according to that news. And this man wakes up and he's different. He's renewed. This is how the gospel works. There is a truth if you have received it at any point in your life that has been buried down deep. And it says you are loved by the one that matters. You are accepted because of the work of Christ. You are forgiven. Now go, live. Live without fear. Live without guilt, right? Now confess your sins as they come, but you're set free. You can live differently. And over time, that thought, that idea, that gospel begins to transform you from the inside out. This is how it works. The seed is planted in you when you believe. The more you welcome it, the more you embrace it, the more you meditate on it, the more you sing about it, the more you allow God's word to re-speak it to you, the more it transforms you. Do you have ears to hear? Let's pray. Our Father...
I do ask on behalf of this body that you would soften our hearts. I do ask, God, as these men and women in the room join with me, whatever, whatever faith, faith they have that they can muster this morning to ask this, would you make us receptive to your word? Would you make us like that good soil? Would you do the good work of the gardener in, in removing the thorns that need to be removed and removing the stones that need to be removed so that the gospel message and the truth of the scripture can go in deep in our lives and then transform us from the inside out? Would you do that? God, I pray this prayer with so much confidence because I know it's exactly what you want to do. It's exactly what you long to do. And I trust that you will do these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.